Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, Bajorans, chickens, and things to episode three of the Muppet Trek podcast. I'm Steve. And I'm Jarman, and we are here to compare, contrast, and confer about our two favorite franchises. And what are those, Steve? The Muppets and Star Trek. Yes. We will be doing one-to-one reviews of The Muppet Show and Star Trek The Original Series. That's correct. And uh, this week we'll have up uh, special guest Sandy Duncan on The Muppet Show, and then Where No Man Has Gone Before on star trek and uh before we get started we have some feedback from our last episode uh from captain Catherine on twitter she says muppets and star trek are my favorite things and i said uh make sure you listen to all the episodes of this podcast because you'll really enjoy it then um and then return comment from some kind of garf on youtube uh they say (laughs) octothorpe golden oldies send tweet do you know what that means steve (laughs) wait so wait what from a, it was actually a comment in our episode one with Joel Gray. Uh, she put, or I think it's a she, Octothorpe Golden Oldies send tweet. No idea. <laughs> it sounds like something someone did, like the Hey Siri, and then they tried to, to dictate a tweet and then send tweet, and then <laughs> Octothorpe <laughs> Golden Oldies send tweet. <laughs> so some kind of Garf, maybe you can explain on the. The next comment, what you meant by that, <laughs> or if that was even to us, because you've commented before. So if I ever have another child, now I'm going to name them Octothorpe. <laughs> Octothorpe. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, that is our little bit of feedback from our previous episodes. And uh, yeah, so I think that'll take us to some episode uh, rundowns here. So what do we got for the Muppet uh, before Show? Before we get time? started, before we get started. Oh, sorry. Uh, uh, so there, so typically on plan nerds if there was like a, a like a celebrity death we'd talk about it ah, and yes. i figure we'll, we'll keep that in context to, to henson and trek uh and terry jones of monty python and the uh writer of the the first draft of the script for labyrinth uh passed away today oh he was the writer for the first script of labyrinth i didn't know that yeah, they were actually afraid the story was going to get too dark, so they passed it to him. And Terry Jones is credited with most of the whimsy. Oh, that's great. Yeah, and that he, was, in he was so wonderful. And he's it, unfortunately had dementia for so long now, and he's finally passed away. But um, what a great guy. Just so talented. So, Terry Jones, you will be missed. You have a place in our hearts here on Mob Trek Podcast. And thankfully, uh, no uh, Star Trek deaths this time around so far. So, knock on wood. Yeah, we'll keep our ear, ear up. All right. There's some old cast members, though. Yeah, they're getting there. We'll see. We got like I saw Michelle, soon. I saw Michelle Nichols at uh, Comic-Con a year or two ago, and I was like, man, she's she's looking old. Yeah, and she's uh, purportedly has dementia as well, but that hasn't been confirmed. Um, so that'd be Aww, really sad if that's, that's unfortunate. the case. Yeah, but we'll see. She's still kicking it. She's going strong. All right, I was talking about people that are still kicking. Sandy Duncan. Yeah, Sandy Duncan. Tell us about Sandy Duncan, the guest on Muppet Show this time. Yeah, so we decided that uh, because some of these guest stars are going to be a little bit older, I'm going to give you guys a little bit of rundown on who the heck they are. 
so Sandy Duncan, actress, singer, performer, uh, nominated for multiple Emmys, star of stage and screen. She is basically referred to as the definitive stage Peter Pan mm-hmm. for the musical production. She was in the television version of Funny Face in 1971. Since then, she has done a ton of one-episode runs, ranging from everywhere from Love Boat to My Little Pony. <laughs> uh, and as far as things that our generation might know her from, uh, voice work on uh, the movie Rock-A-Doodle. Oh, I remember that film. Swan Princess. And she was also one of the lead voices in Fox and the Hound. And it uh, very famously came back to Broadway to do uh, Roxy Hart in Chicago in 1999. So she did a big run of that. She was very good. Wow. A little older for Roxy Hart. Uh, so, yeah, she is the uh, the host. Uh, the show opens with Kermit introducing. Oh, before Sandy we get Duncan. started, now I'm going to cut you yeah. off. Oh, no. <laughs> I just had to mention, this is the first night of the show that my girlfriend has not been able to watch uh, the episodes with me. And I'm so pissed okay. off because she has a signed picture of Sandy Duncan as Peter Pan in her room. She's obsessed with Peter Whoa. Pan. And so this, I forgot all about that when I saw this name. And I'm like, no, this is the one night she didn't get to watch with me. So we're going to rewatch this episode <laughs> later on. But. Yes, force her to, and then make her listen to this. Yes, because some people really like Sandy Duncan. There you go. So there you go. Go ahead. Uh, So the episode opens. Kermit introduces Sandy Duncan. While he's doing so, he's exploded into the balcony with Statler and Waldorf by Crazy Harry. Fozzie introduces her instead. Crazy Harry blows up Kermit again. It's a real good time. (laughs) You get a opening number, A Nice Girl Like Me, which is a dance and song and singing number where Sandy Duncan gets drunk and dances with a bunch of the larger scale, big full size, you know, body puppet monsters, which is funny because the last episode, Rita Moreno also getting drunk and dancing with body size and like monsters. Yeah. And like kind of fighting them too for the same time. (laughs) Uh, You get backstage plot for the episode. And that is that Fozzie has hired a writer named gags Beasley, who is now writing for him and Kermit refuses to give him money to pay him. (laughs) <laughs> then you get uh, a Swedish chef moment in the kitchen where he is throwing like these little pies up in the air and shooting them with his blunderbuss. I love this blunderbuss, Rob. <laughs> uh, blowing holes in them and then calling them donuts. Exactly. Uh, Kermit introduces Fozzie, who comes out. He does his bit, but we don't get to watch most of his bit. The camera falls, Kermit backstage, uh, where Gilda is losing her mind. Hilda loses her mind over how funny Fozzie is. Uh, Kermit says that he hired a new runner writer gags Beasley and Hilda is blown away. He is the Mozart of comedy gags Beasley. And he wrote, what did I say? His name was, Oh, you're right. You got it. Gags. Beasley. Okay. Got it, man. It's a weird name Yeah, uh, that he wrote the famous banana sketch, which she is amazed that Kermit has never heard of. Of course. Everyone's heard of the banana sketch. Uh, then you get an at the dance. There's a lot of dancing and humor concerning world locations. And some sort of dated jokes that I'm not even sure were jokes at the time. Yeah, they were real. In the usual way. Like, not dad weird. jokes. They were like grandpa jokes. Then you get an inner beauty sketch where Sweetums is kind of really sad because he's ugly and, and mean looking on the exterior and flowers wilt in front of him and dogs bite him. And Sally Duncan comes out and gives him the speech about how he's really great and beautiful inside. And he leaves excited. And she goes to give another monster the same speech. And he gets really mad and hits her in the face with a pie. <laughs> Which I thought was pretty good you get a musical number between uh ralph and gonzo uh nobody uh which was nice it's yeah. a nice little musical interlude with just us just the two of them uh then you get never smiled a crocodile where mary louise rides on the back of a crocodile who goes around the set eating various frogs while they try to avoid him right 
Uh, you get a talk spot where Fozzie joins Kermit and Sandy Duncan, and it centers around this idea that Kermit is still the only person that has no idea about what the banana sketch is. <laughs> what is the banana sketch? Then you get a Muppet News flash. A woman from Texas is interviewed about her strange world record where she's hopping up and d- jumping up and down in place. It turns out she's standing on hot plates. First, All right. Uh, then we're backstage again. Veterinary Hospital is about to go out. Piggy, this time performed by Frank Oz, further just pokes Kermit about the fact that he doesn't know what the banana sketch is. Kermit finally loses his mind and only goes crazier, crazier when a talking banana shows up backstage. You get a veterinarian hospital. A man has received a heart transplant, but Dr. Bob left his watch in his chest. Uh, then you get the final musical number with Sandy Duncan. Try to remember it's a peaceful hill and more and more puppets kind of join in as she sings to them. It's a great song, song from uh, the remember. Fantastics. The Fantastics. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then the closing Kermit says goodbye. He prevents presents Sandy with a dozen bananas and says he never wants to hear about the banana joke again. And the show ends. And we never find out what the banana sketch is. No, you don't. Um, so as far as the musical numbers that are in here, a nice girl like me uh, is actually a take on a Barry Manilow song. A oh. nice boy like me. <laughs> uh, Nobody. The one that, that Gonzo sings with Ralph was a number one hit from 1906 performed by this vaudeville performer named Burt Williams. Timely. <laughs> and in 1963, Ralph, the dog on his first appearance on the Jimmy Dean show performed it with Jimmy Dean. Oh, 1963. Uh, try to remember you mentioned from the Fantastics, like one of the longest running off Broadway musicals of all time. It's pretty good. Uh, Sandy is the only guest in the first season where when they say like, there are special guests, Sandy Duncan, and they show her and she's just standing alone. Yeah, <laughs> there's no there's no Muppets anywhere. She just it's waves really for a little bit awkwardly and it goes away. And uh, at that time, Never Smiled a Crocodile was the longest shoot that they did for all during all of season one. It looked very complicated. Yes, it did. You know, the amount of puppets that had to be taken off hands and, and moving around and the jumping mechanics were all very, very cool. Mm hmm. Uh, and so you, you asked about the banana sketch. So Muppet Show season one head writer was a guy named Jack Burns. Uh, and he, a year after this in 78, went and hosted SNL. And he in SNL appeared as Gags Beasley, huh. who is personified as a washed up comedian who's bragging about how he's the guy who wrote the banana sketch. <laughs> it was after this episode came out. Yeah, about a year after. That's funny. Uh, so German, what, what did you like about this episode? Um, I just, I have not been exposed to Sandy Duncan really before, and she's just adorable. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, that made me enjoy this episode more than I think I would have because, um, a lot of the songs then compared to the last two were slower. Uh, not a whole lot was going on. I thought there wasn't as many jokes that hit, at least with me, my current, you know, knowledge and not being in that time. Um, mm-hmm. so I, but I mean, you were right about the alligator sketch. Technically it was amazing. Like how the hell they do all that, but it was yeah, also it was, just kind of, great. I feel like it went too long and wasn't, it was kind of a little bit boring. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was just a slower episode, uh, more, more saccharine and sweet. Um, there's just less like a, uh, jokes for adults. I felt like in this one than the last couple episodes. So I can see that. Yeah. But otherwise, I mean, it was still, it was still enjoyable to watch and i think sandy duncan did a great job because she's just adorable and i 
I want to watch more videos of her now because <laughs> she's so See, cute. I feel like this. So I'm not going to lie. I felt like this was a very disappointing episode of the Muppet show for me. All right. So I'm not far off then. No, like the banana sketch is great. That was, I think, I think that the, the whole, that as a running, not just a running gag, but like a subplot is, is what makes the later episodes of the show super successful and what the episodes we've watched so far have really been missing. Right. Like a, an ongoing gag. Yeah. The B plot, you know, the backstage plot. Um, and we're going to get more of it as the show goes on. And it was really nice to see it here. Otherwise, I think Sandy Duncan could have been anybody. Like her opening number was kind of forgettable. She only had th- three real sketches. Yeah. Because the other one was Talk Spot, where she's just there, just kind of standing. One thing I did appreciate about her, though, is um, the Talk Spot in The Muppet Show can really kind of make or break the episode for me. Because some celebrities, you can see they get it. And some celebrities you see, they don't get it like they're uncomfortable around the puppets and that kind of thing. Comfortable or don't know where to look. Joel Gray. If you watch when we watched his, he is constantly looking behind the puppet kind of at the top of the puppeteer. Like he's not noticed that he doesn't, uh, he doesn't take the puppet seriously as a performer. Right. You can kind of see it, but Sandy Duncan really, really interacts with Fozzie and Kermit in this talk spot and really sort of saves the episode for me. I, that's kind of what I was saying in the beginning. If this episode was kind of more enjoyable because she was there, if she wasn't, I'd be pretty bored. Um, yeah. Um, but otherwise, a lot of it's like, try to remember, like, what a throwaway kind of number. That could have been any number. <laughs> Old standard song, yeah. Right, it could have been anything. Um, and as much as I like nobody, that could have been anything. Yeah, I almost wanted the uh, the folk band to come back. The ones with the Jim Henson puppet and the... Um, Oh yeah. <laughs> I want them to that. sing that instead. <laughs> Cause I like them. Um, but no, kind of a forgettable, forgettable episode. All right. Fair enough. I think we're both yeah, kind yeah. of in agreement on that. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, so I think that takes us on German to an episode of star Trek, the original series where okay. no man has gone before. <laughs> yeah. So this was the actual second pilot of, uh, of Star Trek, uh, the original series. And it's the one that really convinced the execs and everything to make this a, a weekly series. So we can see how it, uh, it must've done something right. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, we open up the enterprise is on an exploratory mission to leave the galaxy implying it's like the first time they're doing that. Um, on the way they find a flight recorder from the USS Valiant, a ship lost over 200 years ago. And the record from the recorder tells that the ship encountered a magnetic space storm then ESP was looked up on that ship's computer, and then the captain self-destructed the ship. That's pretty much all they know of what the hell happened. Um, so Kirk decides to find out what happened to the ship. So they cross the edge of the galaxy, and they hit the same magnetic storm that the Valiant did. Um, it damages the ship's warp drive, killing nine crewmen, which is actually doesn't happen often in Star Trek, where that many people die in one go. That doesn't happen very often. Um, and zaps Gary Mitchell and Dr. Elizabeth Denner. Now... She's the ship's psychiatrist, basically, and Mitchell is the navigator and also a friend of Kirk's since the Academy, which is also kind of rare, having somebody who's an old friend of Kirk's. Um, Hmm. I think they had a really great rapport, too, on the ship. They're really kind of um, playing off each other really well. And you'll recognize uh, Mitchell because he plays the guy from Space 2001 uh, A Space Odyssey, which is pretty cool. Um, uh, When Mitchell awakes, he has silver eyes and begins to display psychic powers and extreme intelligence. So it's kind of what the hell's going on? 
But over time, their testing, Mitchell, he seems fine, but he becomes increasingly arrogant and hostile. And Dr. Denner, the psychiatrist, she becomes fascinated by him and she wants to stay by his side and learn more about him. She keeps defending him to the Kirk and Spock. Uh, but Kirk and Spock begin to figure out that the people on the ship with the most ESP on the Enterprise were uh, most ESP potential, that is, were affected. And this must have been what led the valiant captain to blow up his ship because these people are all getting these crazy powers. So Spock says to Kirk that they either need to maroon Mitchell on the planet somewhere nearby or kill him before he comes too, fa- too powerful because then he'll take over the ship and kill everyone. But Kirk gets his old friend, so he doesn't want to kill him. So he maroons him on a nearby planet. And this planet also has materials that can help them repair the warp drives. So they won't be stuck in the, the edge of the galaxy. Uh, so once the once they're on the planet, they try to keep Mitchell captive, but he becomes too powerful and he kills a crewman, knocks everyone else mm-hmm. out and then runs away with Dr. Denner, uh, who's now developed similar powers to him and also feelings for him because that always happens in the 60s. Um, Kirk goes after Mitchell and convinces Dr. Denner to take him out to Mitchell or sorry to help him take out Mitchell. So he's trying to appeal to her humanity. She still has some humanity left and say, come on, you got to help me. This guy's going crazy. He's acting like a god. He's going to kill everyone. Uh, so after she, he convinces her of that, uh, Mitchell and Denner blast each other with their god powers that they have now. And that wounds her fatally and we- weakens Mitchell enough that Kirk can use a phaser rifle to collapse a bunch of boulders on top of him and kill him. So then we have the end of Mitchell and the end of the episode. So this is kind of a one of the staple episodes of Star Trek. So what do you think? Um, so the things I really liked about it were... You're absolutely right. There were better relations between Kirk and the crew than even prior episodes that were filmed later. Right. That is true. If that makes sense. Them nagging each other and kind of go ribbing at each other about the chess game, even when they're like under red alert, was just like a really nice, clear expression of who they were as characters. Right. Um, I thought that they really use some very clever camera tricks and old school techniques um, for a lot of the, the, the telepathy stuff that was really smart with the small budget they had to work with, mm-hmm. uh, but was super effective. Even now, like when his gun goes flying, I was like, Oh, that was a genius little effect that they didn't really do anything. They just put like a piece of fishing line on his gun and someone yanked it. Yeah. And one of the cool things I read about behind the scenes was, in the very beginning of the episode, Mitchell gets in the elevator and they have, they put a gray wall up and then it's basically blocking off the fact that they're actually still on the bridge set. And then they just remove the, mm. the gray wall when the doors open again so that you see the bridge. So it seems like they actually went on elevator. And that's like, just, uh, it's a great idea for 60s like technology. They don't have the ability to do that. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, I, I really liked, so I can see the meeting where they're like, uh, yeah, so they're going to find this flight recorder and we're going to do a flashback where we get to see that they also hit a wall in space and then two guys did this and some executive went, no, it's too expensive. Let's just have Spock read it. <laughs> listen to the like, recording. Literally, literally listen to the recording and explain what is happening to everybody and just skip all that exposition stuff. Yeah. We're someone went, you're right. That would be way cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> it works out well. <laughs> It was just funny. I was like, really? Are they just reading us the the exposition? Okay. Yep. For five right. minutes. We're going to sit here watching Spock act uh, the hell out of it. <laughs> and my favorite moment of the episode is at the end when Mitchell is weakened and Kirk is able to hit him and he punches him in the face and then he rears back. But Mitchell's kind of on a higher level and there's no way that Kirk didn't punch Mitchell right in the dick. 
<laughs> I think I saw that punch. I think I know what you're talking the about. Fight scene. And I had to, to rewind it about 10 seconds to rewatch it. And I was like, yeah, he totally just punched him in the groin. <laughs> and, I, and I respect Kirk for that. I think this is also the first episode of the signature Kirk chop. <laughs> he always chops people in the neck. Like, I don't know what the deal is with that, but it doesn't seem pretty effective. Um, so the, the, the things that I found were a little bit rough. There were a good amount of shots out in this episode that were just out of focus. Yeah. Like I, it was to the point where I was like, what is happening? Why is his, is his face ever going to come into focus? It was mostly, they did a lot of these big close-ups on Shatner towards the end there, especially. And they were all out of focus. <laughs> I mean, call the focus police. Cause they're there now to pick you up. It was terrible. <laughs> well, I think also it's really evident in this remastered version. You can definitely tell the shots that were out of focus better than before. Um, I thought, and maybe this is just me being a picky audience member, but I thought that the opening with Kirk and Spock playing that game and Kirk overcoming Spock with that illogical move was going to play out in some sort of allegorical way in the episode. And it didn't. And that felt like a missed opportunity. Yeah, I feel like that doesn't really they don't really get that in television until into the eighties, you know, doing something more profound like right. that. And I think I'm thinking of next generation. Yeah. Next generation do things like that all the time. Like the B yeah, plot yeah, yeah. Will kind of mirror the a plot and that kind of thing. And, um, but it just felt, I was just like, Oh, that would have been nice, but they just didn't do it. Okay. Yeah. And also Spock smiling too much in this episode. Still. Um, and I know it's not the cast fault. It's not like the producer's fault, but, going from them having like a fully realized cast with Uhura and Spock and the doctor to then like take a step backwards to just being a bunch of white guys again. Yeah. <laughs> was like really like, Oh, come on. Really jarring. <laughs> okay, I, I understand this was the second pilot and it was not the first, it was the first recorded, but not aired, but still man. Well, thankfully Terrible. starting with the Terrible. next episode, it's going to be, pretty much on track and staying stable because these three episodes been all over the place that we've recorded so yes, far. They did. So it stays on track after this one. Okay. Yeah. Um, so now I'm going to do like a little, it's uh, called a mini bit. Okay. Uh, so I got, I got some questions. All right. Okay. So when he's on the plane with Mitchell and Mitchell digs his grave for him and they show the tombstone, his tombstone says James R. Kirk. Yes. That's not canon, right? Right. And how they've explained that is because later on, they're like, that was a mistake on the behalf of like the production crew because they didn't really ask Gene Roddenberry what his middle name was because he's James Tiberius Kirk. Right. And so he explained it away for canon purposes to say that even though Mitchell is godlike, he is human and makes mistakes and maybe just didn't even know Kirk's middle name. That's the way he puts so it. He just put something on there. Okay. And, and in 1999 or something like that, they were doing some kind of remastering. They considered changing that digitally but it'd be so expensive they just said forget it and just left it in <laughs> okay and then the Kirk at one point pulls up everyone's medical reports about their esp ratings yes does this ever come up anywhere else i know that what are you deanna troy next generation has some sort of of those kind of capabilities but that's because of her race right and says and also vulcans have um uh, telepathy okay. and 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 they can speak through walls basically into someone's mind. Um, okay. That's used later on, but not with humans. Um, yeah. Okay. So this is the only time we see this stuff with humans. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for answering my questions. Sure. <laughs> I'll always be happy to answer Star Trek questions. Um, oh, I had some fun little trivias here. Just a couple. Uh, 
the contacts they had to wear to make their eyes silver. I could not Dude, believe. Those looked, those looked terrible. Their eyes were all red and bloodshot. Oh my god! So they consisted of tin foil sandwiched between two lenses, which covered the entire eye. What a nightmare! Tin foil. <laughs> God. Uh, God. The first time in U.S. history that a second pilot for an hour-long series had been submitted to convince the network to air it. Uh, okay. Th- this was filmed over one year before it aired on TV. It was pretty crazy. Um, for those of you who watch Next Generation and like Q, the character uh, in the book Q Squared, Peter David said Gary Mitchell's condition is explained as the spirit of Q taking over his body, which I thought that was pretty cool. Um, and the, ah, the last okay. juiciest bit we have here is we found out over time that Gene Roddenberry was kind of a cad and wasn't very good with women and was kind of a perv sometimes, um, mm-hmm. cheating on his wife frequently. Um, so you remember in the beginning, there's this blonde yeoman named Yeoman Smith. Yeah. What the hell was she? I thought she was <laughs> going to have a role. She was just a pretty face and then she was gone. I was like, I don't remember this girl in this, in this, this episode. Where does she go? I've never even seen her before or after. So apparently... Uh, in the, this book called The Real Story um, of Star Trek, uh, Andrea Drum was cast as Yeoman Smith because Gene Roddenberry wanted to score with her, in quotations. And according to the producers, it was a non-part and a non-score as well. <laughs> so he casted her with a one line. Gene. And then this, yeah, he didn't even get to sleep with her. So what a, what a dumb perv. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where no man has gone before. Do we have any right. similarities between these two episodes? All right. I had to dig deep on this one. Me too. <laughs> but I found him. <laughs> in both episodes, a green character spells out what's going to happen in the episode. Okay. Kermit introduces the fact that Sandy Duncan will be hosting and Spock literally recites the exposition for the episode. <laughs> he's like more yellow in this episode than green. Yeah. Anna actually asked me, she's like, why is he like that? I'm like, well, he started out greenish and then they just slowly got rid of it. he's a little more green in the rest of the episodes but not much um yeah and originally he was i think i talked about this on planners but originally he was supposed to be red but be too much like but between him having red red face and the ears for color television viewers he's gonna look like the devil and on black and white tvs the red makeup made made him come off as dark skinned ah so be like blackface Right, and they didn't want that either. (laughs) (laughs) Good call, good call. Uh, So, yeah, they they made him green and then just eventually phased it out over the years. Okay, so I have one that's really a stretch. Uh, Okay. So Sandy Duncan uh, uses the same psychological treatment on two people, these two monsters, but the same Uh treatment doesn't work for everyone, she had to find out. You got to, you know, approach everyone differently just because he's also an ugly monster. Uh, just like Dr. Denner thought she could understand Mitchell because she had this knowledge of psychology and how it's worked with other people, but that's not going to work on this guy who's like a god. So, you know, they both. Yeah, you're, you're, you're right. That is a stretch. <laughs> yeah, it's a stretch, but they both were trying to use the same psychology on two different people, but you got to change for everybody. Okay, okay. Uh, both episodes feature explosions that knock lead characters off their feet. <laughs> yeah, that is true. And both feature a scene where a doctor examines a patient. <laughs> that's that's also true. That you're married in the hospital. And when the doctor, who's not Dr. McCoy, <laughs> yeah, an old guy. Another old guy that wasn't in the original pilot either. <laughs> uh, is the doctor and inspects Mitchell. Yeah. Apparently, Gene Roddenberry was kept fighting for um, DeForest Kelly, who eventually plays McCoy. 
And for some reason, the directors and the producers kept wanting to get these old guys in there, but uh, they got them out finally. Um, all right. So now I've got some Trek connections. Nice. All right. So Trek connections, Sandy Duncan and William Shatner were both guest celebrity, celebrity contestants on both the $25,000 pyramid and the hundred thousand dollar pyramid Whoa. in 1976. Well, damn. <laughs> Sandy Duncan got an Emmy nomination for Roots, which she was in with LeVar Burton, who played Jordy LaForge in The Next Generation. <laughs> How the hell do you find these? And Sally Kellerman, Kellerman who played Dr. Denner, mm-hmm. uh, also played Miss Finch in Follow That Bird. Ah, there we go. Yeah. Love that movie. Check out a play on Nerds feed for our full uh, review of Fall of That Bird, a full episode all about that movie. And I had this tidbit waiting because of that episode. Perfect. Yeah. So that, that's been our Trek connections. Uh-oh. Do you hear that? Transporter malfunction. Transporter malfunction. <laughs> all right. So this part of the show, if you don't know already, is where we take one character from one of these episodes and transport them to the other episode and vice versa through a transporter malfunction. Uh, what's the first one you got for us today, Steve? So in this one, uh, to to talk about one of our similarities, I think it'd be funny if Dr. Bob, played by <laughs> Ralph the Dog, came over as the doctor with Nurse Piggy. <laughs> oh, uh, I never had a patient like Mitchell. you. <laughs> well, I can't find anything wrong with you. Oh, you can't, Dr. Bob? No, I didn't bring my glasses. (laughs) (laughs) And it would be a nice short little scene, and then he would go away, and we wouldn't see him again. (laughs) Thank goodness. Um, I had a Sandy Duncan as the Gary Mitchell character, uh, because then, (laughs) hear me out. Okay. Because she's so adorable, she would have used her powers for good. It would change the whole episode. She would be a benevolent god. Oh, I guess that's true. Yeah. Do you have another one? Uh, yeah. I said Sally Kellerman could come over and host in place of Sandy Duncan uh, because that is how lukewarm and interchangeable I felt like Sandy Duncan's performances were <laughs> in this episode that any other blonde woman in the approach appropriate age range could have shown up and done the episode. And they also have the same haircut, too. Almost. They do almost have the same haircut. <laughs> so, yeah, I think Sally Kellerman and Sandy Duncan could have easily been interchanged there. And I put uh, Scotty should transport over to take Fozzie Bear's place for this episode because I would love to see the banana sketch with a Scottish accent. <laughs> and missing fingers. <laughs> and missing fingers, yes. But Scotty, yeah. like, when does Scotty get to be a character? Like, for real? When I think Scotty starting the next episode, everyone you're used to, except for Chekhov, who comes in the next season. But... <sighs> Right. Starting next episode, they're all pretty much there most of the time. There's random times where Sulu goes missing for some reason, but it's going to be Sulu, Scotty, Bones, Spock, Uhura. Okay, because I'm just getting sick of this, like... (laughs) Changing lineup. Like, there's characters... Yeah, the changing lineup just sucks. I'm ready for it to be done. Totally fair. All right, I think uh, that brings us to the end of episode three of the Muppet Trek podcast. That's right. Join us next time for episode four of the Muppet Show with special guest Jim Neighbors. And original series episode, The Naked Time. So, from the lovers, the dreamers, and us, live long and prosper, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Muppet Trek Podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by A Play on Nerds.